Okay. Hello, hello, hello again. It's uh, it's Chapo once more. Me, Matt, and Felix coming at you today. Um, where to begin today? Where to begin this week? Um, I guess we should start out the show with acknowledging the passing of a good friend of the show and a great man. I am referring, of course, to John McAfee, who has quantum suicided into another reality. He's petting pit bulls in heaven, in quantum Guys, heaven. what have we said? If you want to change the future, say it you with me. You have to kill yourself. You have to kill yourself. Quantumly, not normally. In order yes, to kill course. the past, you have to kill yourself. Um, yeah. Dead of an apparent suicide in a Spanish jail on the same day he was going to be extradited to the United States. Um, uh, was he Epstein or did he, was this a quantum shift? I don't know. I think maybe in the parallel universe, he's on a beach in El Salvador right now, enjoying his crypto and having someone shit in his mouth. <laughs> He's yes. there with Fawn Hall, full penetration. Yep. Uh, no, he is the um, loop jumper. I he's the loop jumper, absolutely. I mean, he was sort of the inspiration for loop jumper. One of them. Yeah, we have to like. Everyone needs to hear loop jumper. Well, it'll happen. We're gonna get that out eventually. But um, we, uh, I mean, like, I kind of think he probably just killed himself for a bit, which is yeah, like, hilar- hilarious. Which it's the end result That's of amazing. internet like meme people. You know, you have if your life is entirely defined by your your status as a self aware meme, then you have to go out like a meme. Yeah, you have well, to he, have, make sure people are saying McAfee didn't kill himself for the next. Well, he got years. he got the That's tattoo. That's what gets you motivated to go through with it. He got a tattoo specifically like to commemorate his non suicidalness. Should he ever be um, detained by the U.S. government? Yeah, well, like that's the thing. I do think if he was Epstein, it wouldn't be like. With Epstein, it's like, okay, that's obvious. Like, international intelligence community, blackmail, all this shit. Like, yeah, no, this is the highest of the high stakes. If McAfee was Epstein, it was over, like, $30,000. Yeah. It was like a Sons of Anarchy type thing. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's, just, why, yeah. that's why he probably set this up for people to think that he killed himself because that makes him a bigger deal than he really was, which is what why he had to be a meme and embrace it so much is, hey, yeah. he got to be a legend without... What was he? He was the asshole who made a fucking antiviral program that is a giant a pain in the ass that everyone wants to remove from their computer. That That's it. That's what he did, and then he just took that money, like any of those assholes who got lucky in the early uh, internet, then went down, uh, killed a guy in Belize... Uh, and then just posted himself uh, into custody and then uh, offed himself. Why would anyone care about him unless his life uh, ends in a way that affirms that he must have known something, that he had power, that his crypto knowledge was going to undermine the U.S. dollar or some bullshit, or that he had all of the Epstein information? Remember there was that whole thing where people thought that he was the guy flying the drone around uh, Little St. James? And he was like, oh, yeah. And then he like talked about how he knew Q. And then they posted Q on his Instagram, like the, the moment that he uh, announced his suicide. It just seems like he's trying to make people think that he mattered. Well, you know, if you, if you get to script, your, uh, script an end, I mean, it could certainly be a fitting one. Or uh, perhaps he was Epstein in his jail cell in Spain to stop the truth of the quantum suicide boxes, which govern reality and allow time travel to take place. It's true. If he... If he is quantum, but if that's the case, then he very well might have eluded them before they got there by doing a quantum suicide before they could do a real suicide. Well, like I said, I think he's in El Salvador right now. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he's with Palma. <laughs> you know, we've made our jokes, we've had our fun, but like, we want to be clear: we totally endorse everything he did and said, and we absolutely. think he was a good person. 
Yeah. He was a good, he was a hero. That much is clear. He was a good guy. Yeah. That's, it should be obvious to everyone. Yeah. He was uh, simply a legend and we have to doff our cap to him. Respect in the next yeah, quantum afterlife, sir. He died because he was going to expose the global conspiracy, the truth that uh, like one of his neighbors in Belize like owed him a cigar box full of like dusty, moldy dro, and he was killed for it. <laughs> the greatest dead man switch of all time. He did. He did have a dead man switch. Like he did. There was like some I crypto mean, we'll thing, see. but it's 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 going to be like it's going to be like Rick Roll. <laughs> one of the craziest internet memes of all time. Well, I think turning now to uh, domestic news, I wanted to uh, to kick off today by uh, reading it, just just checking in on how loony the libs are recently. And of course, if it's loony libs, it's got to be Slate.com. I mean, we covered the dog killing, but um, we should perhaps cover the not Supreme Court justice retiring. I mean, I mean, if, if some of these people could, let's just say, behaviorally shifted off the bench, uh, it would be to everyone's benefit. And now you'll remember back in uh, Obama's uh, second term, uh, Slate.com, Emily Bazelon wrote a column uh, titled Stop Telling uh, Justice Ginsburg to Retire. Uh, we all know how that turned out. But wouldn't you know it, the Slate.com legal minds are back at again with uh, Dahlia Lithwick. Uh, her current column is... Stop telling Justice Breyer to retire. Not only is it counterproductive, but it misses the point. So this is virtually the identical article to the one that they wrote before about Justice Ginsburg. But they're back at it again about Justice Breyer. What do you think could account for this? I mean, we'll get, we'll get into the article. But the, the idea to keep in mind here is, like, they can't possibly be this stupid. And they're not. So, like, there's something deeper going on here. So let's just go into it. Uh, she says, we're at the peak of the effort to drive Justice Stephen Breyer screaming from the Supreme Court. The 82-year-old jurist is being lobbied by progressive academics, berated by progressive groups, and hounded by liberal activists. He's being prodded, parodied, psychoanalyzed, and politicked. The ag aggregated effect of this will be either that he steps down in the coming weeks or that he does not. This is what the grant of Article Three life tenure offers to a man. The ability to do precisely what he decides to do with no amount of political pressure sufficing to change that. I mean, all, all, I mean all, the, all the Supreme Court justices are being parodied at this point. She goes here, I tend to be of the view expressed by Noah Feldman several months ago that pressing Breyer to step aside is affirmatively and aggressively counterproductive. The more we politicize the court and its work, the more judges and justices must perform their own neutrality. This isn't just ego or narcissism. It's exactly the kind of institutionalism Breyer has expressed over and over throughout his career. If the public sees fit, if the public sees judges as politicians in robes, he said in April in a speech that sent progressives into fits, its confidence in the courts and its and the rule of law itself can only diminish diminishing the court's power, including its power to act as a check on other branches. When Breyer takes a bold public stand for neutral technocratic judges, it's not just because he believes that of himself, it's because he, was, he wants us to believe that, because he thinks it's necessary to preserve the legitimacy of the judicial branch. So right off the bat here, I, I like that Dahlia is sort of acknowledging that all of this is a show just for us. It's about what we think about the court, not about the court itself, and that's really what's important. Yeah, legitimacy, maintaining the legitimacy of the institution. Well, I think like people like this, not necessarily like the broader like left lib to regular libs, but like people like this specifically, like someone who writes for Slate or whatever, 
who would do this article, like, I think they're pretty happy with what the Supreme Court is right now. Like, of course, like during, uh, during, during 2016, it was like, oh, the, no, like, oh, you don't like Hillary? Suck it up. The courts are more important. But it's like what they are now after four years of Trump and every appointment, it's like fine for what they are because it's like there's clearly some type of understanding with the Supreme Court where it's like, okay, we're not going to like go insane and do everything that, you know, people, liberal pressure groups warned about us doing. Like, we're not just going to instantly overturn Roe v. Wade. I mean, A, that's not really important because abortion's like practically illegal for people all over the country anyway. But um, they're going to like toss a few bones either way where there will be like free speech rulings or like discrimination rulings that are like, you know, they, they surprise you because the Trump appointed judges vote in a certain way that you didn't quite expect them to. And then there will be something like, Oh, uh, every justice, but Sotomayor votes that like Nestle can have slaves. Yeah. That just and happened. In the that's and, Court. and like, but like if it's, if it's operating as this sort of like, autonomous thing where there's this understanding between them and it's it exists to lend the idea that there's still like a legitimate institution that isn't tethered to either party necessarily that's i mean if you want to keep this thing going that's what you'd want you'd be you couldn't be happier with a roberts court well you know i'm gonna give dahlia credit here and say that she's not actually just secretly trying to keep the court the way it is if i as i was reading listening to that if you uh, to what she was saying and the argument she was making in that piece, if you strip it of her normative assumptions, if you strip it of all of the connotation and language in the article that indicates that she agrees with Breyer on this, she is making a very compelling argument that is, I think, accurate, which is if you want Breyer to retire in time to be replaced by a Democrat, don't tell him that he has to retire because he is very invested in the idea of the legitimacy that the legitimacy of the court and his uh, distance from the political system, which means if you remind him and remind everybody else that he represents a partisan side, he will, to prove that's not true, refuse to retire. And that's ding, ding, correct. Ding, ding. That ding, is ding, correct. Amazon gift card so she's right. So she is correct. This article is all right. The reason that it's infuriating and the reason that it's it serves as propaganda is because she agrees with Breyer. No, right. I mean, like, well, I mean, even if she doesn't agree with Breyer, she's willing to couch everything through through this like uh, um, a distancing about uh, why it's bad to tell him to retire, except for the one reason that might actually be the same one, which is that if you hurt the feelings of this senile mummy, he'll yes. be less likely to do the thing that you want him to do. So she could have wrote an article that said that. But that would be giving the lie to this whole idea that the Supreme Court is like a legitimate institution, yeah. not like fucking nine senior citizens who are given lifetime appointments, even though they think it's 1985. Because she's not making an argument like uh, observing this, like, hey, stop, stop yelling at the old man. He's, he's gonna, his horseradish is going to get up. She's over by his side saying, no, no, listen to Stephen's feelings. Like she's invested in his point of view all through it. And that's like, what makes it risible. Because, you know, Dahlia Lithwick is a liberal. I mean, like, the courts are in, like, law or her bailiwick. And surely she, she can't relish the prospect of what, you know, uh, a lifetime the Supreme Court dominated by the right wing for certainly another generation is going to do to American society. But the thing is, like, this is coming on the heels of 
a number of rulings that Felix alluded to, and, and more importantly, a, a bunch of legal coverage and commentary on the court that seems to suggest that, like, hey, this, uh, this right-wing Supreme Court is not as right-wing as we thought it was going to be because of X, Y, and Z. Like, hey, did you know that they upheld Obamacare in this one recent case? And it's just like, oh, wow. What 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 a shock! They, up, they uphold they they upheld the giant like giveaway to the private insurance industry that was uh, written into law by the uh, Democratic president. How fucking magnanimous of them! Of course, another recent ruling that comes to mind that Felix uh, mentioned is um, that uh, Nestle will not have to pay uh, any fine or any certainly any criminal penalty for uh, profiting off child slavery for years and years for um, in their supply chain um, fully taking advantage of the benefits of. Ch- children being enslaved. And that ruling, of course, applies to every other multinational corporation as well. My favorite thing people said to, def- to defend that was, no, you fucking idiot. It's not making slavery legal. Uh, it's not saying Nestle can have slaves. It's saying that Nestle can't be held uh, financially responsible for what its uh, contractors in other countries do to get the stuff they pay for, which means if that's legal, then... Slavery has been legalized. That's yes. it. If there's no penalty yeah. for buying slave-produced uh, products, then they will buy slave-produced products. They have to. They'll get fired if they don't. I am not a slave owner. I simply told my contractors to find a way to bring labor costs down to zero. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. And I believe uh, the, the argument advanced in the Supreme Court, or like another defense of this, is they said, look, the company that produced Cyclone B wasn't sued after the war for how their product was used. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Like, that's funny because like, it was really a de-lousing agent, and I don't think the people who made it intended it for it to be used as a, you know, an instrument of genocide. But, I mean, like, they, the, the Zyklon B manufacturers would have a better legal case that they're not held legally liable than fucking Nestle, who knowingly profited from child labor, unlike, you know, let's say they created a chocolate product that only killed a certain race of people. Yeah, I think, like, the most, like, uh, like alarmist take you can get on this is that I saw a few times was um, this is a blueprint for every company to have slavery. And it's like... I can I can definitely see that in some realm of possibility, but I think it's more like as it's going to exist now, it's like, yeah, no, just like they're going to keep doing what they're doing where they have effective slave labor in all these countries that we never fucking think about. And as long as like and, yeah. Cargill or Nestle is like not on the books being like, hey, hire, you know, like uh, uh, enslave these people to um, get us the resources we need to make our product. As long as someone else is doing that, they can still reap the profit from it. Um, and that's totally legal. Uh, just the, yeah. the other, another Supreme Court uh, uh, decision this week uh, made it illegal for labor organizers to enter farms to talk to farm uh, workers. And, th- and this goes back to, like, you know, Cesar Chavez or whatever. They, that, they overturned uh, a precedent that allowed uh, labor organizing on farms. So, uh, again, like, th- th- this, of course, is largely unnoticed or unremarked upon by most of the liberals who cover the Supreme Court because it's not really the issues they care about. And they can point to uh, other, other issues and be like, hey, it's actually, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kavanaugh, Barrett, and Roberts are, are represent the new moderate wing of the Supreme Court. Because of the I mean, way they, they do. Voted on like, these every, cases. Yeah, yeah, no, this is what a like moderate that, is. Like, there have to be wings, no matter what, no matter what the composition is. There has to be wings of the fucking court. So yeah, they're in the new moderate wing. Awesome. And this is, I mean, this is what it means to be a moderate in America. Yes. You like you think you think it's magnanimous to allow people to pay four thousand dollars a month for coverage that doesn't work on the PlayStation Network, 
and also uh, any American company with a market pa- cap past uh, $5 billion can have slaves. That's Today's the modern moderate- position in America. As long as it's in a country, as long as it's in a country that people never think about, do in, whatever. In the United States, today's moderate is always yesterday's fray- frothing at the mouth maniac. Yeah, a brain it is, jackal. That's the o- only direction it goes. That's the only pedigree of ma- of moderation is former extremism. Well, I mean, the, the the article gets more revealing about what's going on here. So let's just continue. She says uh, his need for ju- judicial neutrality is existential which is why browbeating him about the fact that he is idealistic, naive, or playing in straight into Mitch McConnell's cynical Montgomery Burns hands really is akin to getting the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy in a headlock and demanding that they admit that they aren't real. I'm just going to read this again here because uh, she James sex three um, totally fictional characters, uh, one on a TV show for children that adults also enjoy, and two that are just straight up uh, stories for babies. So she Yeah, says, because yeah, it's made up. She knows she that. Go- yeah, she goes, uh, browbeating him about the fact that he is idealistic, naive, or playing straight into Mitch McConnell's cynical Montgomery Burns rubbing hands really is akin to getting the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy in a headlock and demanding they admit they aren't real. I mean, Matt, once again, you're right. Like The, the, the useful thing that she's performing here is basically basically admitting that these are all stories for babies and that yes. you're the and that you're the baby. Yes, and that Briar, the whole point of these lifetime appointments is to get people in a position where they can make purely selfish decisions bereft of any political influence and for an institutional liberal like Briar who has spent 70 years in the fucking Aranco food dehydrator the spiritual desiccator of government and politics and fucking the, the legal system and, and the judici- and the process of judicial review has been turned into a fucking piece of beef jerky composed entirely of commitment, spiritual investment in these institutions. And he is only going to do what he thinks will keep them strong, especially in what he sees as assault on their fund- foundational uh, validity. And so his position, hey, I'm 81. I can do what I want to do. There's literally nothing you can do to stop me. Oh, you're going to write articles. What is that? Why do I give a shit? You're going to fucking send tweets at me, bitch? I'm not on Twitter. I can fucking do what I want. And then they're going to do what they want. And that's what these people want at the expense of everything else. And all the actual policy goals we're supposed to care about is maintenance of the institutional legitimacy underlying it. That's the only thing that they really care about. Outcomes are secondary. Even if the outcomes are universal monstrosity, as long as the forms are observed, then they feel that those outcomes are legitimate. Stephen, Stephen Breyer, you're about to get a dude's rock ratio if you don't retire. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, the, uh, the xenomorph of institutionalism must be preserved at all costs. All yes. other conditionary, all other considerations, secondary, crew slash country expendable. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I you admire know, its uh, purity. Uh, you know, another testament to Stephen Breyer's uh, commitment to institutionalism is that he was a fact checker for the Warren Commission. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, they got this all screwed yeah. up. Let me just uh, get the old that's eraser like, in here. That's like when you see somebody on Twitter and they have like they're like um, hot take. Se- uh, if a writer puts sex scenes in a movie, it's like he's sexually assaulting the audience. And then they have like pre WGA in their thing, <laughs> in their bio. <laughs> it's like, Oh, this is part of the audition. So, uh, she continues here. And while Adam Cohen is certainly right that Breyer's magical thinking about the grave neutrality of the court is part of the reason the court as an institution can be so blind to reality. The notion that Breyer might come around 
on that point or be persuaded by its repetition in the press or in public spaces around D.C. strikes me as its own piece of naivete. No lifelong public servant wants to be reminded that their institutional aspirations are a joke or that their institution has morphed into a joke or that they value the, the values they prize of civil disagreement and working toward compromise make them a chump. To be sure, the values of civil disagreement and working towards compromise are likely now as dead at the, at the high court as they are in the Senate. But Breyer, like Joe Manchin, is very unlikely to be moved by being lectured about silly, defunct institutional idealism. And it's at least possible, if not likely, that both of them will be inclined to double down on the idealism in the face of mass mockery rather than to give it up. See, that that's to Matt's original point well, that, the, that she's being explicit about right now. But I want to make two points here about this. The first is the idea that no lifelong public servant likes to be made fun of or feel like they're a chump it's like okay uh, i know you may be concerned about on um, whether nestle can own slaves whether you can vote in the future or you know join a union or drink non-poison drinking water but have you considered the feelings of one 80 year old man well that that's i mean that's what's infuriating about this is like no 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 he's not the chump we are exactly it's the same it's the same thing with this like line of criticism about democrats where it's like um, uh, oh, they're fa- like they're they're pussies. Like they're uh, you know we hate them because they're pussies. It's like no, you're the pussy. You're the pussy because you think that you still fucking vote for them. You still fucking give them money. You still defend them whenever it really comes down to the wire. With this, it's like yeah, you could like portray Breyer as a chump for believing these things, but it's like no, really, you are. You're the chump because you're the one who's invested in his, like, internal monologue. You're the one invested in his emotional affect. You're supposed to care about an 80-year-old's whims. You you literally imagine your future is in his wrinkled hands. How does that not make you the fucking loser? Because this guy, we say, oh, they care more about this this old man's feelings. This old man's feelings actually matter. Nothing, none of ours do. His actually fucking matter. And I do think it's interesting that the last two... Supreme Court justices to operate out of a obvious uh, institution or obvious ideological loyalty to the Democratic Party were both Republican appointees. Both John Paul Stevens and before him David Souter, when they got a uh, a Democratic uh, president, they checked out. Souter pulled the pin like four months after Obama got uh, inaugurated. Yeah. Part of that is because he hated being the Supreme Court justice, <laughs> but he also didn't care if it looked partisan. Because he wasn't invested in this project the way these these people are. And like also the other thing here is that, you know, uh, Breyer's commitment to institutionalism or whatever, or maintaining a sense of comedy and uh, a non-politicized highest court in the land is, of course, also imperiled by his decision to roll the dice with his fucking life expectancy. Because, you know... Let's say we all we all understand that, like, you know, if, if he checks out while Biden's president and Biden, you know, is allowed to nominate a Supreme Court justice, we'll see what that happens. It like the person that he will, will replace him will likely be another clone of Breyer, probably a guy who's already 75 and has a voting record of like what is, you know, used to be a conservative Republican until about, you know, 20 months ago. I will say that uh, if Breyer stays on the court through the midterms and the Republicans win them and win the Senate back. That will prove conclusively that Obama did not have Antonin Scalia killed because what the fuck kind of Democratic president wouldn't just use the heart attack gun on this motherfucker if it, went, if it was really a, a risk? If Obama tried to kill Scalia, 
there would be like a 30 per- person committee that Valerie Jarrett was on where they discussed the best way to do it and then they would ultimately conclude the best way would be to scare him to death and then there would be a debate over whether it should be with like a guy dressed up as the boogeyman or with a very frightening suspense movie and it would end with them just leaving a copy of Panic Room on his doorstep that he steps on and cracks <laughs> uh, I'm imagining- and then walks and then walks upstairs and like just like chokes on his night oysters <laughs> <laughs> i'm imagining uh you know uh hillary clinton obama valerie jarrett Rahm Emanuel. they're in the situation room like when the bin laden killing happened and they're watching grainy night vision footage of like an operator team sneaking into his closet in a fucking ghoul mask <laughs> <laughs> yeah and they're like, they're yeah. like oh my well, god sir sir we crashed the helicopter we went into the wrong closet mission abort yeah this is they we're, would we're in his pantry he's not afraid enough yeah, you would have to like dress a guy up like a big IUD or something to scare him. All right, the second point I want to make about what Lithwick here she says here, um, uh, but but Breyer, like Joe Manchin, is very likely to be moved by being lectured about silly, defunct institutional idealism. Again, a very interesting tell by Lithwick here that's very informative. The comparison of Justice Breyer to Joe Manchin is exactly right. They both serve the same institutional function for not American government in general, but the Democratic Party specifically. And what I mean by that is like uh, Manchin is the perfect excuse for 10 or 15 other Democratic senators who don't want to vote on things that he's taking all the heat for. And Breyer and the Supreme Court in general, it, it, it serves the Democrats' interest to have it in the hands of Republicans in perpetuity because it's always the excuse for why you have to keep voting for them. And also the excuse for why they can't pass legislation that might get vetoed by the Supreme Court or, or, or overturned, rather. Or, and I honestly think that with Breyer, Breyer genuinely thinks that he has transcended those concerns. He, he, doesn't, even, he doesn't even think in terms of, like, oh, I, it's to my advantage for Republicans to hold the Senate, so it's good if it's the, uh, the Republicans replace me. He would probably prefer it if a Democrat replaced him, if he died at the right moment or something. He would prefer it, maybe, but uh, the crucial thing is that he is detached from caring about it. That's, and then he mm. has to perform that detachment by not, a, uh, not bowing to public pressure to show himself to be a partisan. Exactly, and if you're 81 years old and like one of the most powerful people in the world in this like specific area that you've dedicated your life to, why would you fucking... Why would you? You couldn't tell me shit if I was in his yeah. place. So Lithwick is yeah. right to that certain degree. I mean, obviously he doesn't have any loyalty to, or you know, <laughs> he doesn't care about you know the the people that. But like for the like the the law to these people is not about like policy or its effect on our actual human beings. It's about the the sort of the eternal majesty of the Constitution and their 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 role as sort of court clerics in interpreting it. Yeah. They don't want us to lose our uh, the, our investment in these institutions because what if we decide that we don't need them? What if we get rid of them? That it, it I mean, just at an institutional level, it annihilates the purpose for the Democratic Party of existing. Well, that's and what then, I of mean. Course, yeah. Threatens all the interests that the Democratic Party uh, is there to protect. The Supreme Court is like the most vivid and and present cudgel to get you to continue to vote for them, despite the fact that they. Uh, routinely legislate against the very people and, and you know things that they ran on, um, so that like if it's perpetually in the hands of the right wing, then it's, it's perpetually a fundraising apparatus and an excuse for them. And I just like it, I, if the Democrats truly cared about like they don't give a fuck about 
gay rights or abortion being legal in this country because if they were made illegal, then there would be a huge surge in support for Democrats. They're, they're happy to sacrifice all of this, all of this, so that Nestle can keep profiting from child slavery. Yeah. Breyer, everyone who comes after him, everyone who came before him, they're just dabbing on you. You're the asshole. You're the bag holder. They're fine. Lithwick continues, I'm not discounting the harms and violence that can be wrought when institutionalists cling to idealism. Millions of soon-to-be-purged, suppressed, and discounted voters may learn as soon as the next election that the material damage to democracy that can be done by, a, by white men doubling down on one-sided idealism is incalculable. So what is to be done about the fact that Mitch McConnell very clearly counts on and indeed extravagantly exploits the seemingly naive institutionalism of Democrats who keep arguing that a return to old norms is possible and desirable? McConnell has no intention of allowing President Joe Biden to replace a liberal justice if Republicans win the Senate next year. It's McConnell's court now. Breyer just rents rooms on it. The alternative to asking a man to publicly renounce his institutional dreams and ideals is to do something bolder than making this fracas about a single seat. Serious discussions of structural court reform, from court expansion to term limits to jurisdiction stripping, exist outside of McConnell's control and also outside of Breyer's control. Such proposals reach beyond the current 6-3 supermajority on the court. In much of the public discourse, we treat those reforms like airless, unlikely academic exercises because implementing, implementing them would demand the hard work of organizing, messaging, and strategizing, which is precisely why we avoid doing, which is precisely what we avoid doing when we pretend the problems of a revanchist court captured by a minority interest can be solved by replacing Stephen Breyer with another liberal. I got to say, Lithwick is, is, is correct about that. But yeah, I mean, like. 100%. She, she she is correct but like when she says like oh like why you know why why don't these efforts they seem airless why don't they seem to carry more weight and then putting the onus on people who are concerned about this like oh well you just haven't like strategized organized messaged you know uh, made a political campaign about imposing term limits on the supreme court or expanding it for that matter but i mean like w without a political party that's willing to, to to pick this up and use it to exercise their power i mean like what good is it like, I mean, well, like she, she's I, not even advocating on behalf of a partisan agenda. She's advocating uh, we need to solve these problems of naive, innocent institutionalism leading to outcomes that go cut against the very thing that it's seeking to preserve by, you know, or, organizing to expand the court. But, I mean, sure, I, I, I agree with you, but, like, good luck with that. Yeah, well, see, but that's I mean, just it, is that, is that she's, uh, she's saying something that is 100% true, which is these people aren't going to change because you tell them to. And they're not going to change because you vote for them, because you can't vote for anybody else. So they're going to do what they want to do, and your tweets and your complaints and your posts aren't going to move them off that. Only mobilization will move it. Only uh, actual organization of you know, uh, uh, activist capacity to threaten these people's positions can do that. And, and if you're not going to do that, then you're not going to actually uh, uh, influence any of these institutions. And that's correct. But the implication of that is that the Democratic Party has to be directly confronted and, uh, and undermined and destroyed, which, I mean, if Lithwick wants to take that next step, I'd like to hear it. But everything else uh, because goes the, with the Breyer assumption that these institutions need to be defended at all costs. Because, like, you know, if, as long as you're talking about institutional, you know, commitments and prerogatives, every single institutional commitment of the Democratic Party is uh, threatened by imposing term limits on Supreme Court justices or expanding the court or doing or impeaching any of them or doing anything to, to gut the authority of this decrepit, fucking, totally anti-democratic institution. 
They they need it. It's the it's they need the speed bump on on, on anything that the, the, any popular policy that people actually like and would benefit from. Going on here, I'm just going to skip to the end here. Replacing a liberal justice with another liberal justice on a 6-3 court is important, but it's also small ball. If we do or don't want justices to time their own retirements in exceedingly political ways, there is a way to fix that. Implementing mandatory retirement ages or 18-year terms. That is all stuff Congress can fix if there is a public will to do so. The work is to build the public will to do so, which means it may be time to let go of the weird learned helplessness around the courts and acknowledge that although it is easier to be angry about the justices than to fix it, the courts, it is much less effective to do it that way. In fact, it's a concession to the wrongheaded premise that we all live at the sufferance of Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump, and the Federalist Society. That is a concession anyone should be prepared to make, and that is a battle we should be engaging with. So, I mean, once again, like I, I, I think she's correct in like a certain in, in a vacuum but like in reality like like who who is she advocating for to get involved and like make these changes and institute like you know and, and assert a popular will over the supreme court well what it is like yeah you suggest hey you people actually need to pressure uh co- coordinate yourselves to pressure this party to do what you want and then but but to also you know take for granted the uh the legitimacy of something like the democratic party even though it's designed to prevent people from it's like it's not just waiting to be moved. It is actively preventing people from organizing to move it. Uh, and she doesn't want to uh, confront that fact. So it becomes a way to, like everything else in moralistic liberalism, blame people for their own condition. So like every uh, when people get mad at uh, the the Senate for operating as 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 awfully as it has in the last uh, few months, because they'll say, well, if more Democrats had gotten out to vote for these senators, and they'd won those close races uh, in those other states, then there wouldn't be this problem. And this is just an extension of that, is that you needed to vote harder because there's no other uh, uh, given uh, conception of resistance to this trend in the Democrats. And the demand to do that, to you know, organize and assert a popular will through the Democratic Party, um, only benefits the Democratic Party, which, as we said, for every reason, is entirely invested in keeping the Supreme Court yeah, so like, in the hands of the Republicans vote harder for, for us so that we can have more power that we will exercise against you, not on your behalf. Well, there we go. Uh, that's 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 Dahlia Lithwick. And then, I, like I said, it, it's just it's just funny to rem- to re- just remember that they wrote the exact same article about Justice Ginsburg. And is there anyone anyone? On this on this side of the ledger, who would make who who was making that argument at the time that still believes that Justice Ginsburg shouldn't have retired when she had the chance? Is there anyone I mean, willing to make really that be- argument if now? They, if they accept, if they really believe what they believe, yeah, they should have. They should say it doesn't matter that she croaked. It's because that is that's partisanship. That's your you're you're removing the legitimacy of the institutions. She wanted to stay on the court. Her time came. They. Uh, if anything, you blame Mitch McConnell for cheating and and changing his uh, policy uh, by putting Barrett in so fast before the election, even though they didn't allow a hearing for Garland. But you don't blame uh, Ginsburg. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Sometimes I try to do things that just doesn't work out the way I want it to. And I get real frustrated. Like, I try hard to do it, and I like, take my time, but it just doesn't work out the way I want it to. It's like I concentrate on real hard, but it just doesn't work out. But everything I do and everything I try, it never well, that's it. Okay, out. so move, moving on from uh, the, the terrain of uh, Slate.com, let's check in with an old friend. Moving from the, the salons of Georgetown and 
the, the Supreme Court beat. I'd like to turn now to dads. Dads of the Chicagoland variety, and of course, the most able chronicler of that species of individual is, of course, formerly of the Chicago Tribune, the great John Cass, now of JohnCass.com. Yeah, no, there was um, news media, opinion writing, everything. It all died. It all died this last weekend. John Cass was bought out. He's no longer at his flagship paper, or at least that's what we thought. But now there's an online home of John Cass where you can get only Cass. You don't have to wade through a bunch of crap that's like, you know, uh, the best way to honor Colin Kaepernick at the Pulaski Day Parade. You know, the five most heroic uh, people who got honest uh, CPD officers fired. Remembering Ed Burke. Uh, Articles like that, you know, you can just go to JohnCass.com now and get articles like this. I gotta say, I give him time. credit for not going with a Substack. I don't think he knows what that is. <laughs> I don't think I feel like he's trapped in a time warp where nothing's changed since 1987. That's that's your one stop shop for all things Cass related. Yeah, and I just like if to you want to if you if you want to like if you want to cut through the shit and you really want to read what it's like to have a wordless uh, attend a preseason like bears exhibition game where it's raining sideways and it's windy and you and your large son don't say a word to each other and you think about these like some disgusting like raspberry and cream dessert you used to eat but you can't eat it anymore because you your bladder is too big your doctor told you you can't do it and you realize you have a uti at the urine trough this is where you go (laughs) i just want to point out about john cast news when you when you go to the home page there's a header that's that's just like it, it's it's a great photo of John and he's right in the middle of the header but standing um in, in like in front of the word home so it just looks like it says home John Cass but he's standing in front of the word home so it, the header just looks like homo John Cass <laughs> with a giant photo of him just in the middle of it yeah I kind of feel like someone got one over on old John <laughs> with that one well <laughs> I kind of feel like <laughs> a nephew got contacted and was like you need uh, to help me design a website and he did that. <laughs> <laughs> it just it escaped poor John's uh, poor John's meter. Well, I got a double shot of uh, John Cass columns for you, and uh, they basically both deal with the same subject. I mean, they're not really like only only vaguely political. We're not really interested in that. We we just want no. We just want them like the the, the basically the a daily diary of like one of the most uh, of just one of the greatest dads of all time. So this is yeah. this is, I, w- I would like to point out the first one I'm going to read here is. This is John Cass's second to last column for the Chicago Tribune before he took the buyout. It says here, this is column, Mr. Unsolicited, advice man's wife saves him from perfect stranger. It's it's such a weird it's such a weird headline. Mister in parentheses unsolicited advice man's wife saves him from perfect strangers. That's he is like he's one of the last living artists because like his like his understanding of like where words should go in sentences and like a natural rhythm or cadence, like it just completely he doesn't give a shit, and he ends up writing these like perfectly clunky pieces of shit. <laughs> well, here we go. Uh, he says here. I've finally become one of those annoying guys at the hardware store giving unsolicited advice to perfect stranger. Oh, he, so yeah, he finally reached You've his become. final form. Yeah. <laughs> also, he's describing cruising. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've finally become one of those annoying guys at a public park. 
but happily, I have a beautiful and loving life coach to save me from social embarrassment. That's why my feet hurt so much. Like, what? What's up? <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get <laughs> how one follows the other. So he goes, I love you. He, talks, he calls his wife his beautiful and loving life coach. <laughs> That's a lot of psychology. That's like, okay. Okay, what's, so, what's going on here? So what does he talk to strangers about at Home Depot? So he says, sometimes I select random strangers and proselytize about soccer, the beautiful game, or, <laughs> or the fascinatingly grim TV reality show, Alone, in which the isolated contestants risk their lives and go insane trying to win $500,000. I love, <laughs> wait, okay. Oh my God. I, I love that John Cass's favorite TV show is called Alone, and it's about people being driven crazy for money. <laughs> I don't even feel like that's, like, accessible to most people. Like, all his TV shows are, like, on LiveLeak. <laughs> yeah, I watched this great show where uh, Brazilian soccer teams, their planes crash, and they have to eat each other. And you never, like, you never expect who the strongest one's going to be. It's awesome. He goes, uh, yes, it's quite odd, but then it's all odd, like every darn thing in my life lately. If you haven't noticed, newspaper people are under stress, too. Uh, a week later, he took a buyout, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but he goes, uh, you can't keep going up to people and giving soccer and TV advice, says my stunningly beautiful and loving life coach. Life isn't a newspaper column. It's life. <laughs> uh, fucking you said it. You said it. He's like, just like it's the, the long-suffering life coach. My, my, my long-suffering, uh, the, the old ball and Shane who gives me advice and keeps me from annoying strangers. Is, she's at it again. She said, you can't just talk to random people about soccer and the reality TV show alone. She goes, oh, really? A newspaper column isn't life? We paid off our mortgage and now you tell me? My wife, a.k.a. life coach, is the reason my feet hurt. This is the fourth time he's referred to his beautiful and stunning life coach, but he's letting you in on the joke now. I'm actually talking about my wife in case you hadn't picked that up already. I love, yeah, I, the thing I love about, like, um, Cass Collins is, like, how he, like, he often repeats, like, a repetitive phrase or concept, and, like, he probably thinks it's, like, some type of, like, funny symmetry, but actually, it just sounds like a man going insane, like having a breakdown. Like, it's very Lovecraft. Yeah, no, like, like it's, it's like what being alone does to you. Being alone in your house <laughs> watching soccer. <laughs> watching soccer. Just, just mouth-watering for bratwurst that you can't eat anymore because your colon will explode if you have another piece of processed meat. <laughs> um, and then just, like, no one wants to watch soccer with you. Your life coach is just... You let, your life, when your life coach makes your feet hurt, you know, you got problems. You've got problems. Um, so yeah, but like, it's like, and like the, 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 you said, his phrase about calling his wife his life coach is like not difficult to figure out at all. It's not like a very, it's not like a clever thing you have to think about for half a second. He says it three times and then explains the joke to you. Brilliant writer, brilliant. He's a master. He's a fucking master. So he goes, my wife, aka my my wife, aka life coach, is the reason. Okay, we get it. Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, you're driving me crazy, John. Uh, she, she is the reason my feet hurt. She steps on them discreetly, smiling pleasantly as she grinds my bunions to a pulp to stop me from giving advice. <laughs> <laughs> she's, Man, she's doing, is this where everybody whose job it is to give their opinions on shit gonna end up? Are we all gonna end up doing that? I'm terrified. Yeah, well, yeah. 
well, we're going to get married to each other. We're yeah. all going to be John Cass and his wife. Uh, I like that his wife is doing cruising stuff to him to get him to stop. <laughs> shut the fuck up about a loan. She's keeps, wide stancing next to the wrenches. She keeps like, just, just smashing her heel into my toes under the fucking under a bathroom stall to get me to stop talking to nobody while I take a shit in a public restroom about the beautiful game of soccer. <laughs> Advice to random Siri, play Kanye West. Good life. <laughs> Advice to random strangers on how they must embrace soccer, the greatest sport in the world, especially after our, our courageous U.S. men's national team defeated the hated rivals Mexico 3-2 with more drama, passion, and nostril flaring than any of the best Mexican soap operas. Did, did he watch a lot of those? Or, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, he goes... And that alone show on the History Channel alone involves reclusive survivalists with hatchets in the woods trying to outlast the others. Lonely day after lonely day, worried about bears and having to kill or eat or fail and starve. I, I can't, I just, the fact that he's obsessed with this reality show that is basically just a uh, televised version of how he feels every second of the day, not his actual life, but his psychological inner life is, I think, why he is so attracted to the show alone. Because it's like, what is he doing all day? He's lonely and miserable and worried about eating and not being allowed to eat by his, by his life coach. Yeah, there's a harridan who tells you that it's, you can't have 3 p.m. sausage. They talk to themselves in their crude shelters in the woods. <laughs> that sounds like the, <laughs> the social media function of johncastnews.com. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is like... A message in a bottle just sent out. Yeah, this on a is pond. This, this totally it's not predicts getting to anyone. Johncastnews.com. Sometimes they laugh and weep in the same breath with only a few empty headed J's to hear their tales of woe. I mean, again, he Jesus. he just he paints such a picture. It's it's just a, a, a psychological landscape that he's describing and that that he inhabits is so absolutely bleak. I just Well, this is yeah, he's like a type of artist that like we love, right? Where it's like someone who's a brilliant artist but not like in the thing they were intending to be. Like yeah. he Cass like thinks he's like a sort of like Royco esque like every man who has a cool appraisal of what the world's like and is like a little bit cynical, but he truly wants what's best and he has a very idiosyncratic way of funnily describing the world. But in reality, what this is and like why it's so great is because it's like he's accidentally telling you like how lonely and miserable and scared he is all <laughs> yes, the time. Yes. He's like too shitty of a right. Like if he meant to do that, he wouldn't be able to. But just like by letting himself flow, you're like, oh, I completely see what he what he sees when he closes his eyes. He goes and it only, with only a few empty headed jays to hear their tales of woe. I love that show. It's so real. Even the crying. Like, this is us in the wilderness. There you go, Felix. This is oh, written, my God. This is written purely for you. He's, uh, he's an this is us, this is us watcher? He is in, this I would have never guessed. He's an us head. I would have never guessed. Uh, he goes, don't tell parents that their kids need to play soccer and develop their left foot, she whispers sweetly, grinding my tarsals to dust. Okay, honey. And don't talk about alone with the hatchets, she says, grinding my metatarsals to a pulp. <laughs> he used this. He just replaced tarsals to metatarsals and used the dust and pulp. I mean, this guy. This guy gets. It just he he will recycle every phrase. You know, in, in it's, most, it's, it's it's rhyming. It, it, it's, yeah. it's it's sort of a it it's it's a literary technique. Yes, repetition. 
Uh, she goes here. Um, she. <laughs> You might as well tell them it puts the lotion on its skin. It's scary. Stop. <laughs> I just love, it's just the idea of like it's okay. It's a nearly desolate Home Depot. You're going in there to get some like you know uh, some some like wall anchors or like I don't know like uh, thirty you know thirty uh, packs of garbage bags or something like that. You're wandering the the huge brightly lit aisles and it's just like just sort of wondering, can I be helped? Is there anyone here? Then out of nowhere, uh, John Cass approaches you alone, brandishing a nail gun. And he starts going, you heard about the show with the hatchets where people cry in the wilderness? <laughs> it's like, it's the Simpsons thing where, like, Homer keeps coming into Bart's room with a knife and <laughs> yeah, a chainsaw. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see my new chainsaw? Bart, do you want to see my new chainsaw and hockey mask? Ah! Oh, sorry. She goes here, uh, she probably won't talk to me for a day or so after I quote her accurately with the it puts its lotion on the skin business, but she'll come around. She loves me. Though I work for a newspaper undergoing changes, <laughs> the changes that don't include me, I really don't need a psychiatrist. I have a podiatrist, Dr. Mike Burns, the podiatrist to the stars. And after I type this one out, I'll call for an emergency appointment. I just love that he, he's name-checking his podiatrist that he has on speed dial. <laughs> he's oh he's in and God. out of the office every week getting bunion sanded off his feet. Oh, my God. <laughs> A guy who's putting on a welding mask to saw down the fucking the sausage skin like, that's piled like, up on his fucking big toe. Like, he's like, Christ. he's like, my wife won't talk to me for a day or two after I embarrass her at the Home Depot, but my podiatrist is always there when I need a friend because oh, I always have feet dude. problems to talk to him about. Beautiful. My life coach may have dominion when we're out running errands. <laughs> What are you talking about? What the fuck? My life coach may have dominion when we're out running errands, but now I'm writing my column and my feet are safely under my desk with Zeus the Wonder Dog where he and they belong. I can't very well talk about politics with strangers. They might take offense. If they ask me, say, about former Chicago alderman Danny Solis on that wire for the feds, I just nod and say, let's see what happens. But I can't discuss with them Danny's penchant for massage parlors. I'll save that for another column. Uh, are you familiar with Danny Solis and the story he's talking about, Felix? Or is this just more? This is just Chicago stuff. This is Chicago stuff. Um, just sight unseen, I'm going to say this guy didn't do anything bad. Okay. <laughs> and I refuse to discuss recipes in person. Some people still want to talk to me about grilling beer can chicken. It's okay. I still do the chicken that way on rare occasions. But as my progressive friends say. I've evolved. I'm beyond sticking a beer can up a chicken's behind. Now I'm an Italian chicken under the bricks man. And if you want the recipe, you'll have to find it on the Chicago Way podcast. Talking sports is safe. Talking TV is safe. Safe. There was a lot of talking in that U.S.-Mexico game played in Denver. The fans of the Mexican national team, El Tri, talked and talked and threw bottles at the American players. And some offered slurs about the goalkeeper's sexuality. But when things were going their way and Mexico was winning, they shouted, ole, ole, as is their want. It was getting tiresome. Later in the game, when the U.S. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> this is so boring. <laughs> this is so boring. He's doing it. He can't do it to people in the Home Depot, so he's just doing it to his readers. I'm fucking yeah. losing my mind. Where's his life coach? Shut the fuck up about this U.S.-Mexico game, dude. I don't he's give a shit that you're... Even if you care about soccer, the Euro Cup is going on. That's real fucking football, not this bullshit exhibition match. 
Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm sorry. I re- rarely bump into these things, but this is like the, the brain firing ramblings of a dying man. No, yeah, that's what he's been doing for like 30 years. And like, this is amazing because it's like you, you have this thing that you like voluntarily pick to read always with Cass, at least with like us. And you're like excited to read it because he's such like, he's so loathsome. But it's like his prose is such that like you feel like you're being assaulted. You feel like you're being cornered with him. Like he's sticking a fucking 38 in your gut and killing you. <laughs> oh, God. It's like being held out by an advice column. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's insane. It's insane. Like he's, again, he's an artist. He's oh. an artist. Like he's, this is, um, if he intended for people to like feel this way, I would be like, yeah, he deserves a, he deserves like not a Pulitzer, he just des- deserves the Nobel Prize. Yeah, it's the <laughs> literary equivalent of Andy Warhol's Empire. Yeah, just twenty three hours of the front of the of the Empire State Building, and you just keep reading it. Incredible. Okay, well, I'm I'm gonna keep reading. And what can I tell you about Alone? Watch it. It's much more soothing than being barked at by political dogs on TV. And you can have <laughs> snacks while they starve. Contestants in this season oh are dropped God. into the wilderness of the Grizzly Mountain in northern Canada and can bring only 10 items with them. They must build shelters. They are given bear spray, but no guns. They see bears, wolves, mountain lions. <laughs> if they can't catch or forage food, they go hungry. Many suffer what's called drop shock when they realize just how alone they are. Then the talking begins. The ones who talk the most are usually the first to tap out. Aristotle once said that the only creatures who should live alone are the gods and animals. But he didn't have the hardware store or cable. That's John Cass, everybody. <laughs> can we put a... Can we... There's a lot there. I want to point out, you can eat snacks while they starve. That is like, exact, that's like that is such a good fucking piece of writing. God yeah. damn it. He's like... Yeah, you like... Like you, you can only get him to like replicate this if it's like he's had another like awful week where he's just shuffling around places with like a little bit of urine in the tip of his cock that he can't shake out, and like just has some like sort of after grease on his fingers and mouth, and he's just shuffling around like trying to suck strangers into his whirlpool of misery, and his wife is yelling at him, but it's like. If you could, if you could just make these on command like this, it would be like okay. We fight. This is the best writer of our generation. He's the best. He's a genius. Okay, so that was merely that. That was merely John Cast Part One. Let's go now to John Cast post leaving the Chicago Tribune. Uh, this is a, this is his Father's Day piece that's up on JohnCastNews.com. So this is this is Cast unfiltered. This is yes. I mean, can you the the, the article I I just read presumably was edited at the Chicago Tribune. Presumably he has an editor who saw that column and was like, yeah, whatever, you're going to be fired. You're going to be bought out in a week anyway. Just put that out there. But now this is cast purely unfiltered. This is, his, this is up on johncastnews.com. What do we teach our children on Father's Day? So like, this, is, this is another really big topic for John, is uh, the role of the dad in today's life. And by that, he means <laughs> what is there for me to do? Why doesn't anyone like me or talk to me? <laughs> okay. Happy Father's Day, my friends. I'm still getting used to johncastnews.com, learning how to use this platform. It is very much like moving into a new home. Where's the kitchen? The Chicago Way podcast will be up today. Jeff Carlin turned the tables and interviewed me about all that happened at the Tribune, about my last column and how things began. 
media friends are inviting me on their shows to talk about it, from Tom Bevan to Dan Proft and Tom Serafin's Crisis Cast and many others. Let's see what oh, happens. Uh, watch out. I think you dropped a bunch of big names there, John. <laughs> Tom Bevan, Dan Proft, and Tom Serafin's Crisis Cast. Let's see what happens. You're killing it with all your subscriptions to my new adventure. I'm overwhelmed by the many thousands who have already subscribed to johncastnews.com via email. There's always room for more. But here we are on Father's Day, and when I'm writing on a Sunday, I usually don't write a column about leaving my job. I write a Father's Day column. So here's a new one for johncastnews.com. Okay, this is the subhead to his Father's Day column. The burning of, cargo, of, the, burning of the cargo shorts on Father's Day. There is a Father's Day photo of my sons and me at the beach, looking out at the horizon. My goddaughter Leah took the photo. That memory is one of the great treasures of my life. Was it taken on Father's Day or after? I don't recall. But I do think it speaks to everything about being a father with the children looking out into the future. What do we teach them? What tools do we give them to survive in the world spiritually and physically? I think one of the most important is confidence. The confidence to try new things. The confidence to clearly assess the situation and change course without regrets and never bend the knee. The confidence to see the limitations ahead, yes, and the dangers. But life is about risk, and there are possibilities out there. In a way, this is why I made the move. That is why I'm doing all this, to show them what can be done. <laughs> this is why he started JohnCastNews.com, was to show his children that in, in life, you got to grab the bull by the horns and go for it. I really like, again, going to pick one thing out, like not ever bending the knee, it's like, yeah, John Cass writes things for people who won't and physically can't bend their knees. <laughs> <laughs> Never bending the knee is advice his podiatrist gave him. <laughs> I want an interview with his podiatrist. The guy he calls like five times a day. So, you know, so, so you start up this column with just sort of a uh, philosophical musing, you know, about, about being a dad and about raising children and what, what, what we impart to them and, you know, in, in an uncertain world, how we can still support them and what that means. So let's see if he, let's see if he keeps it up. Uh, there's another reason I posted the photo, the shorts and regrets about the shorts. If you're a dad, then today is Father's Day, which means the dad is to be presented with gifts as part of the ritual celebration of love. Unfortunately, there is a horrid ritual, too, for many the meek acceptance of the bleeping <laughs> casual shorts the way the father may wear when going outside in public because the family hates his cargo shorts. She hates them. The boys hate them. They're so old. And it seems he must rid himself of the cargo shorts, perhaps burn them in a ceremonial fire in the backyard and accept the new bleeping casual shorts. They're slimming, she'll say. They look better than the old cargo shorts, the boys will say. They make you look younger, they all say. They'll be taken aback by his scowl, as if he'd give two figs about looking younger. I just, so, so he, 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 he made it about three or four sentences. Did you like a sincere Father's Day column about what it means to love your children and watch them grow up and things like that? And now he's just on to bitching about his family not liking the shorts he wears. Yeah, he is like, he is the world's prisoner. Um, he doesn't. He's old now. He likes being his age. He'll never again have a 32-inch waist. He'll never again go three rounds. He's dealing with it. He likes it that way. Today, he's about as old as the terribly old ones in the bad post-apocalyptic sci-fi novels he read as a boy. So, wow, John Cass is an H.P. Lovecraft fan. Yeah, no. Just, wow. He's like an H.P. Lovecraft protagonist, kind of. H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft was like a little too liberal on race for John. 
<laughs> a little too much of a bleeding heart. Uh, he's not as old as the terrible old ones in the bad post-apocalyptic sci-fi novels he read as a boy. I mean, again, John Cast, he, ha- he has to get in a dig at H.P. Lovecraft for saying he's, a ba- he's bad. I mean, to be fair, yeah. he didn't quite channel the, the sort of malevolent um, amb- and sort of ambient madness of the human condition quite as well as John does. But, you know, he's no yeah, slouch well, yeah, either. Yeah, John, they both, they both deal with... Um, an uncaring universe, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, read more. Cass actually experimented with uh, sort of horror sci-fi, and he wrote a, a tribute to H.P. Lovecraft about his own life. It was called Tallow over Innsmouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the next column at johncastnews.com. It's about a town where they don't use meat-derived gravy anymore, and it's horrifying. And John goes on a mass shooting and kills all of them. Let's just say I hope there's no supernatural stuff. So John John name checks Zeus the Wonder Dog in many of his columns, curled up at his feet. I'll just put it this way: I hope John doesn't adopt a cat anytime soon. Yeah, no. Um, Zeus also, as if there were any, there was any doubt. Um, previous listeners of John Cass segments will know this. Zeus is like the most miserable dog on the planet. Like he is just, he's a very greasy, <laughs> like shambling dog. Poor guy. When, uh, so, so the post-apocalyptic sci-fi novels he'd read as a boy when he dreamed of himself as terribly old, but not that old, perhaps only 35 with slightly graying temples, smoking a pipe while cheerily leading a band of nomads trying to build, rebuild Western civilization with rude tools. So <laughs> you catch a rude tools. I think that's a typo. I think he meant to write crude tools, but rude tools has a sort of accidental poetry to it that I really enjoy. Um, in those boy dreams, in those boy dreams of the apocalyptic future, there was a telepathic pet saber-toothed tiger speaking mind thoughts in an English accent. Okay, uh, this column has completely gone off the rails. I need to read that sentence again. This started out as a Father's Day column. In those boy dreams of the apocalyptic future, there was a telepathic pet saber-toothed tiger speaking mind thoughts in an English accent. The, the, the twin phrases here, boy dreams and mind thoughts. Again, like I would give anything if I could come up with that, like intending to. If I, if I could creatively will into, into writing, the boy dreams and mind thoughts. I, I, God, I just, it's some people. That's my people, favorite Roy Orbison song that they ever played <laughs> a David Lynch movie. Boy, boy yeah. dreams and mind thoughts. Boy Dreams Dean sounds Stockwell like a, is uh, yes. singing this song right now. Boy Dreams sounds like what would replace the gr- British pound if, like, you wrote a sci-fi <laughs> novel where every like oh, the the England was ruled by a million clones of Jimmy Savile. <laughs> uh, that would be a million boy dreams to get into the Peter Pan room. <laughs> but um. <laughs> I, I, like <laughs> this is this is Mr. Home Depot is talking about he spent his childhood um, enmeshed in a vivid fantasy world in which a telepathic saber-toothed tiger spoke to him in an English accent. Again, um, I, I just I I wish um, I, I could think of the I wish I could think of something like this. Ugh. The tiger helped him keep order among the illiterate nomads. <laughs> <laughs> he started talking about how much he loves his sons, and he is deep in he's he's in fucking he's in his mind palace right now. This is fucking goddamn. This is 
he's a god tier op ed columnist. Nobody, nobody, nobody is as good as this. They, oh, god damn it. And I just like I really have to get older to appreciate John Cass because like as a kid it was just like oh he's just like a racist like blowhard and like like yeah sure he, he is certainly absolutely. is that he's definitely those things but then like when you it's only when you get older that you can like find the deep human misery and like eternal <laughs> horror in these columns I'm sad like wondering what I meant like there's probably a John Cass column I read in like. 2005 that was like you know probably about like why sean bell deserved it or something but it like there was probably something so sad and horrifying in there that i just wasn't like old enough to really get okay so the tiger helped him keep order among the illiterate nomads if that was just a random sentence plucked from a story i would be like i i need to read this this is fascinating this is probably (laughs) the best story of all time and it is i just it is I think like he views himself as like rebuilding Western civilization, but not in the post-apocalyptic world, like in Chicago. And he has his mind tiger to keep him company when he's stalking the aisles of Home Depot, looking at illiterate nomads who stare blankly at him when he starts describing TV shows he watched last night. Yeah, uh, he's no. like, I'm trying to send, I'm trying to share my mind thoughts with them, but they- <laughs> <laughs> get me, get me into the boy chamber. <laughs> um. Uh, but but that's a sci-fi column. Sorry. This is a column about Father's Day and giving up the comfortable shorts for the slim shorts. No, this is a sci-fi column. I can't this. even read this. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> this is, oh, sorry. sorry. Oh this, my is, God. this is a sci-fi column I was writing in the middle of my Father's Day column, which is the column, not a column about Father's Day, but a column about the cargo shorts I had to give up for uh, <laughs> slim shorts, which my, parent, which, my, which my parents, which my life coach and sons made me burn. <laughs> i love i just like going back to the shorts thing like he's so far away with it like he's gone down his own like tunnel of misery and it's like you forget the way this column began is like the typical the way that these columns all begin where you think it's just like sort of bullshit like slice of life writing with just like the world's shittiest repeated jokes (laughs) yeah (laughs) because here um I had to do it last year, said a friend of mine. It gave up the cargo shorts. The family wanted it that way. Did you burn them in the ceremonial fire? No, he said. I just put the new ones on. The old ones disappeared somewhere. The old ones disappeared somewhere. <laughs> like, he, he, this, is, he's, this is Lovecraft. This is, oh, my God. Burning them in the ceremonial fire. It's like Dark Souls, Felix. You should you should relate to this. Yeah, no, John Cass is hollowed. <laughs> yes, he is. He died too many times. He's died in all his dreams, and he's lost. Per- How do people go, you know, hollowing in Dark Souls, it happens because people lose purpose in their life. The undead loses purpose and, and life, and so they just go insane, and that's what's happening to him. He loses a little bit more purpose every day. <laughs> well, yeah, especially now that he's gotten basically retired from the Chicago Tribune. So he goes, um, they really took him to the glue factory. <laughs> he thought Sunday would be easy. Just take the gifts, pretend they were exactly what he wanted, grill some steaks, in parentheses, blue cheese butter, and salmon, in parentheses, lemon herb butter, then sit down to watch sports on TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, my God. I just, I just want the blue cheese butter. I want, to, I want to watch sports with the psychic tiger that, that communicates mind thoughts to me, and I want all the old ones to disappear. 
later. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Like it's like I'm probably gonna subscribe to this. I, I might have like to. I think like just as Honestly, a business yeah. expense, we, we should. But it's like, yeah, I'm I'm subscribing to this. I don't know if I fully believe him when he says he has thousands of subscribers. <laughs> but it's like I kind of like you don't understand like how awful people in Chicago are. <laughs> like people, the, people it. in Chicago are like so terrible that like I could see like ten thousand of them being like, yeah, yeah, this is good. <laughs> I want to pay directly to the guy to read this crap. So I mean, like, and now we're getting into another major cast obsession, which is not being able to eat things like blue cheese butter. Um, he says later, perhaps a fine Maduro cigar. Perhaps he'll sneak a slice of banana cream pie. She denies him pie these days, but his intelligence network has informed him that the pie will indeed be offered. She denies him pie these days. Again, another <laughs> another sentence that's like it's like like a diamond bullet fired into my. She forehead. denies him pie these days. She denies him pie these days. I mean, it's just like it's, it's like so, something Horatio Higgins says to Eliza Doolittle. It's to get so, her to speak English better. But like it's it's so imbued with with, with uh, layers of meaning and <laughs> consequences. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. It, yeah, it's like if um yeah, if like a fucking um Cormac McCarthy book just took place in a guy's like basement man cave. Yes. Like they didn't go anywhere. But it still has the same like haunting prose. See the John. He is large. He wants the butter <laughs> for his pies. She denies him pies these days. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Like, she is dancing. Is... <laughs> she is dancing. She denies him pies these days. Please, <laughs> please. Me and my son just want to make it to the hot dog cart one day. Sometimes, sometimes the lamb goes to Home Depot. Sometimes they cry. Sometimes the wolf comes. He's. I know this isn't very likely, like given his habits. Um, I hope he lives like another thirty years <laughs> and writes for all of them. Oh come on! Of course he's going to live another thirty years. He's another Trump guy. Like it's just it's oh none, yeah, none of these guys like live forever. There is no artery blockage like too great for them to power not power through. But it's just like every article has a new health problem. Like in ones that I like now, you know, a frequent cast reader, ones that I didn't even know he had. It's like it's you can't it's like Dragon Ball Z, you need like a previously on because it'll be, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be like as you guys know, as you guys know, I have the condition known as like pate skull. <laughs> He's he like, has the Monty Burns syndrome though. All of the diseases yeah. cancel each other out. He'll live forever. That's true. He's yeah, what an art like what an artist. Okay, like, you know, deserves got something nothing to do with it. He's not like he doesn't like deserve like a six figure income from people subscribing to Johncast.com as like a person. Like he seems like an awful guy, always has. As an artist though, absolutely. You can separate as an artist, the man he deserves from the art. millions of dollars. Yes. Uh continuing. If he abandons all dignity and whines in the manner of Zeus the Wonder Dog, the notorious mind-bending German short-hair pointer whine that can break the will of the most hardened terrorist, maybe, just maybe, he'll be given a tiny slice. Okay, I, I, gotta, I gotta play back the way he describes his dog. The notorious mind-bending German short-hair pointer whine that can break the will of the most hardened terrorist. That's or... <laughs> Like, what is his will being broken over? Uh, like, what's the dog? Yeah, what does the dog want from him? 
Does he want him to take a 44 out to Lover's Lane and start shooting people? He wants him to die. He wants John Cass to let him die. Yeah, it's very gothic. I realize that she denies and buys these days what it really reminded me of. It's like a Nick Cave lyric about a song where a farmer kills his wife with an axe. <laughs> she denies him pies these days. <laughs> He's God damn it, he's so good. <laughs> it's a song called Fat Right Hand. <laughs> uh, so bright, here. bright red ham. <laughs> um, uh, or, or he might just bluster his way to pie because you never know if he'll be dead tomorrow in a random robbery, and they will all feel terribly guilty forever because they left him pieless on the one day he was to be indulged. So now his fantasy is he'll get pie or he won't get pie and he'll be killed in a robbery tomorrow. He gets to watch his body from, the, from <laughs> heaven and then watch his family cry and think and we scream just about how him. they wish they'd given him pie when they had a chance. His wife is just there weeping. I should never have denied him pie. He was killed by one of Chicago's many, many dangerous thugs that Mayor Lori Lightfoot has let rampage loose over the city. She's just like, she's like we, Oscar Schindler. Uh, this could have been some uh, postage treats that I could have given John. This could have been a rack of ribs that I let him have at Thanksgiving. He's he's arguing with his wife, and then they just hear a knock at the door, and it's like, "Hello, we're Black Lives Matter. We're gonna execute your husband for being white." And he's like, "Oh, should have should have let me have the dessert, you dumb bitch." <laughs> and I, what, what I love about this is that he he has like the classic, um, like uh, sort of. Uh, opinion, uh, opinion, op-ed columnist, kind of uh, self-deprecating charm, where he's always kind of, he's always cutting himself down to size and sort of a little bemused by the nature of his job in general. But like his attempt to do like a, a sort of a, a funny self-deprecating joke at his expense. Think about the scene in which he renders. It's him being murdered and his family being bereft because they didn't give him the treats he wanted. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, he's trying to do that like. Like, oh, yeah, don't you hate, like, these little peculiarities of family life, but don't you also love them? But his things, his, like, relatable things are like, yeah, you know, everyone's on Father's Day when you fantasize about your own death. <laughs> Just, like, a vehicle also, for your own resentments against your family. Also, I, I love the idea that he says, like, Father's Day is the one day of the year in which I am allowed to be indulged. Like, his life coach and sons are <laughs> indulging him every second of the fucking day. I just love this it. Like, like, I love it. Yeah, like, his attitude. It's all, all they get, all they get one day a year where I get to be a fucking asshole and <laughs> eat all the food I want. Yeah. Like, think of, dude, think, like, his, he's like a big, fat, racist Chicago guy, and his only job, his entire, like, adult life has just been to write a column where he's like, you'll never guess what the black guys are up to. Dude, there's just not enough respect in sports. The portion sizes at, at Wrigley Field aren't big enough. Like, <laughs> that's all he's like written for the past like forty years. Like, how could his life be any better for a guy like him? It couldn't be. And that shows the the tragedy of of our social order is that it's designed to give people everything they want, which guarantees that they'll only ever be miserable. Yeah, like he's never been happy for a minute, even though he has gotten one of the most blessed lives in human history. 
Like in, in not, the t- yeah. top top fraction of a percent of human experiences, considering what life has been like for people throughout most of history, just like it is objective. Uh, a question of like comfort and safety and pleasure and, and avoidance of pain, top fraction of a percent miserable. Not in, like the top fraction of a percent in like the time and country he lived in for the type for like yeah. his specific demographic, but yep. also like everything after that, everything that made up the individual components of his life was like perfect for him. Like, oh, you're like a big gluttonous asshole okay you can live in a city where there's gravy and everything okay <laughs> fine like oh you're like you're like a reactionary fucking psycho racist asshole okay here's a column where you could just say like blood and soil shit for 40 years and like make a pretty good living doing it and he's still like i i put on the cross every day <laughs> yep like, yeah so going on now he says now, can we get back to the car- why the cargo shorts must burn? Those slimming shorts are wretched torture devices with small, worthless pockets. Again! He's done it again! Small, small worthless <laughs> pockets is so fucking poetic! That's my favorite Fiona album album. <laughs> small, worthless pockets. It's great. They're wretched torture devices with small, worthless pockets. <laughs> And you Jesus and you know Christ. you know Cass is one of those one of those fucking uh, men with a wallet that is so fucking thick oh, with God, like every yes. coupon and discount yeah. every tenth sandwich free card he has about a, he's got a stack of them about as thick as a fucking Bible stick, uh, fucking <laughs> swelling his wallet to a gargantuan size that even in even in fucking <laughs> even if he was wearing a, a fucking like a, a, a kilt or something it would probably look odd. Bulging out the Every side time of. he sits down, he just cants to the left like 35 <laughs> yeah, degrees. Yeah. <laughs> he goes here, uh, he can't put tomato. <laughs> he goes, okay, well, this is the problem with the slimming shorts. He can't put tomato tape for tying tomato vines to steaks in those pockets, along with a thick roll of garden jute car keys and a phone he's walking so he's walking around of a day with tomato tape garden jute and a phone and it's sticking out of his fucking pants a thick roll of garden jute incredible <laughs> incredible he can't put pruning clippers in the other pocket with perhaps a notepad to capture an almost forgotten memory of post-apocalyptic and sarcastic saber-toothed tiger with the telepathic voice of british actor sean bean Wait, <laughs> so, hold up. <laughs> I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read it again. I'm gonna read yeah. it again. I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna read like the, the all of it again. He can't put tomato tape for tying tomato vines to steaks in those pockets, along with he a thrust thick his fist ro- against the post and still insists he sees the ghosts. <laughs> along with a thick roll of garden jute, car keys, and a phone, he can't put pruning clippers in the other pocket with perhaps a notepad to capture an almost forgotten memory of post-apocalyptic and sarcastic saber-toothed tiger with the telepathic voice of British actor Sean Bean. I, I, I don't even have anything to say. I just have to... I just gaze in, in, in Those in are awe. Doug Schultz's last words, I think. What <laughs> <Yeah>. the fuck? <laughs> that is... <laughs> was anyone editing him <laughs> one, like, one towards the end of this like what? no well th- now this is him completely yeah. unedited this is just johncastnews.com zeus the wonder dog is his fucking editor i'm just like the telepathic <laughs> tiger with, with the voice of british actor sean bean uh, one does not simply eat banana pie on father's day <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
Like, what would he even need to, like, record his psychotic, like, hallucinations? Like, is he going to write a sci-fi novel? He should. Absolutely. Yeah. If he wrote a sci-fi novel, it would bring back, like, it would create a new golden age. All right. Here's a Heinlein for our time, I think. Yes. Here, here, okay, here, here's, here's the home stretch. This is, this is the wrap-up. He will have his piece of banana cream pie. He will light his fine Maduro cigar. He will bask in the love of his sons and wife. But he will That's not... That's the other thing that he can't do. <laughs> like, like, it's like, oh, yeah, they don't let me eat pie. I, like, um, I can't smoke a cigar. They don't love me. <laughs> They're all like, in the same category. He will... Ask in the love of his sons and wife. But he will not give up his cargo shorts. He's the dad, all right. And being a dad means you're allowed to have one pair of comfortable shorts in your life. Happy Father's Day. I mean, his entire life has been a pair of comfortable yeah. shorts. He's been, he's been swaddled in, a, in, in a, a fucking cargo short his entire life. Just... Just suspended between two oak trees in his backyard, just eating the world's longest kielbasa, and just yeah. writing about what he saw at the he saw like the hip hop style thugs he saw at the fucking uh, park. Yeah, this is like I like now when I subscribe to Johncast.com, I'm not gonna feel bad because it's like yeah, he is awful, but I honestly feel like he's probably like dissuaded more people from racism and conservatism than like he's brought he over. He is a cautionary, you tale. know, like. Yeah, there is no, there is no uh, fulfillment here. You know, th- no, there is there's no pleasure. There's no, no there pleasure. No. There's nothing. There's just conti- as bad as you feel now, only worse. Yeah, it's like there's no happiness or yeah. love or light in his life, and it's like y- if you like, yeah, if someone was like bigoted or something, and it's like you see this, you see this guy who's like, yeah, lived his entire life in a manger, <laughs> just the easiest existence possible, and he's like. Taste of Chicago was ruined because I saw a lot of backwards baseball caps. <laughs> there was a rap element there. There were a lot of rapper types. There. <laughs> it's like, oh, this isn't like cool to do. This guy sucks. All I'll do is I'm going ju- to get rid of my bigotries. I'll just I'll sum it up. No love, no respect, no future. But what you do have is an imaginary post-apocalyptic telepathic saber-toothed tiger that transmits mind thoughts directly into your brain in the voice of TV and movie actor Sean Bean. I, and I don't know boy anything. Thoughts. I, I don't and boy, boy dreams as well. I don't have anything else to say. That was possibly the finest double shot of reading I've ever done on this show. I think that's the best op-ed I've ever heard. Like ever. That's the best. Like uh, we've like denigrated op-eds a lot, and for the most part, they suck. There's no reason for them to be written, but like that is the only one where it like crosses over into art. It's small, like, w- small yeah. worthless pockets. Small just, worthless pockets. It's just the it's John so, Cass story. The, the let's, melancholy. Let's, do, let's make a movie that. about him called "Small Worthless Pockets." <laughs> the uh, just the oh. It's it's beautiful. I, 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 I'm I'm so it's haunt. Yeah, it's, I'm a haunted. This is this is haunting. And this, I, I yeah. I got I got nothing else to say on this episode, fellas. I think we should call take it. Take your day. parent. Yeah, take your parents' credit card. Subscribe to Johncast.com. <laughs> Support the man. He'll be so yeah, happy you did. Actually, no, he'll be miserable. No, no, no. He'll like find a way to bitch about that. Yep. Yeah. Oh, great. Now I'm making more money, and more money can go to local rap centers in Chicago. <laughs> 
oh, I wonder if Michelle Obama is going to take my money and ruin lunches. <laughs> he's, yeah, now, he's a true artist. He'll never know why, ever. Like, he will never know why he's a genius, but he is. There you have it. Yep. That, that does it for another week of Chapo Trap House. Till next time, gentlemen. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Where the viaduct looms like a bird of doom As he ships and cracks Where secrets lie in the border fires And the humming wires Yeah, man, you know you're never coming back Past the square, past the bridge, past the mills, past the stacks on a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. <laughs>